Matthew chapter number 7 is a portion of Jesus' teaching, what, uh, what you and I commonly refer to as his Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, Jesus goes through uh, quite a bit of interesting stuff. He talks about the Beatitudes. He talks about forgiveness and teaching us how to love one, another's, uh, love one another. And then uh, on top of that, he gets off in this really, really difficult one on how to love our enemy. And that, that gets kind of interesting. He continues to teach on giving and praying and fasting. These are all good things that, that we need to see. And uh, towards the end of chapter 6, he deals with something that could help a lot of you right now. He teaches on worry. Jesus preaches on what to do with worry. And it's very, very important for us to grab a hold of that. But tonight we are specifically going to deal with a portion of this Sermon on the Mount from chapter 7 and verse number 7, where Jesus breaks it down Gerber style for us and makes it pretty easy to digest. He says to us, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocks. Can we read this last line together? What does it say? It shall be. It shall be. Now, I'm certainly not uh, a Greek scholar. Matter of fact, I have difficulty with the English language. But I want to tell you what I believe this means right here. When Jesus said it shall be, I believe you, man, it's going to happen. That's what I believe. You can be seated tonight, and I'm going to spend some time with you tonight being very specific about some things that I feel like while we're in the spirit of prayer, we need to take very specific note as to how we're moving forward for no army goes into a battle without a strategy could you imagine the enemy slinging bullets and bombs and airplanes flying and dropping stuff all over the place and the general just steps up and says go get them boys well that's kind of how we do in the, the kingdom of God sometimes we just say the devil's fighting go get him well there's a problem with that one of them I read to you uh, or quoted to you tonight when the disciples were frustrated and couldn't cast out a devil. Jesus had to give them specific instruction. He said this kind only goes out with prayer and fasting. In the book of Acts, we find seven young men, seven men, their father was a priest. They came in to cast out a devil and they tried, to, they tried very interesting, to name drop on the enemy. Now this is interesting. Because of who their father was, they thought they could name drop on the devil and get by with it. So they walk in and they say, well, you know, we know Jesus and, and Paul and so we're telling you to come out. Well, the devil thought that was laughable. And that demonic spirit spoke out of that man and said, well, Jesus I know 
and Paul I know, but who are you? This is our biblical precedent for understanding that the go get them boys philosophy doesn't work in the kingdom of God. People often take Matthew 7 and 7 and they're misguided in their philosophy behind the scripture. Because they take it and use it from a selfish perspective and say even Jesus himself said that if I would ask I'd get it. That if I'd seek it out I would find it and that any door I knocked on that it would just be open to me. So I want to begin tonight by telling you that if you don't ask you won't receive. If you don't seek you won't find and if you don't knock it won't be opened but... If you do any of those with the wrong motive and an impure heart, it doesn't matter anyhow. You cannot come to God and ask Him for things that are outside of His will and His purpose and His plan and then get frustrated with God and say that He's not true to His word. Because not everything that you ask according to your will is the will of your Heavenly Father. This is why we must find a Gethsemane for every one of us where Jesus denied his flesh and said, Lord, if it's possible, you could let this cup pass from me. But if not, my spirit is willing, although my flesh is weak. I tell you that in recent days, I have found such joy And being able to seek the Lord, he's been a refuge to me in the time of trouble. I have probably felt in the last couple of weeks a deeper drawing to prayer than I've ever felt in my life. It's like all hours of the day I feel the wooing of the Holy Ghost drawing. Now, I know some of you folks are a little bit worried right now about what's going to happen with all these folks that are getting too spiritual because, you know, in the old church... We had a philosophy that you can be so heavenly minded you're of no earthly good. But I've always lived by the philosophy that I really don't think any of us have anything to worry about when it comes to that. I think everybody's going to be just fine. I don't think anybody's got anything to worry about tonight about getting too spiritually or too heavenly minded. However you want, you know, I've actually heard people blame that on the scripture and say it's in the Bible. You know, that's what the word of the Lord says. You got to stay balanced. Or you're going to get so spiritually minded that you're of no earthly good. You know when you hear that, that you're dealing with a scholar. Because those are the same people whose scripture in their Bible says that the Lord works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. You won't find that one in there either. And in times like this, it's especially important to understand you won't find the one in there that says he'll never put more on you than you can bear. Because it's not in the Bible. You'll never find the scripture that says God will never put more on you than you can bear. If that's the case, then some of us need to just hold our teddy bear until the coming of the Lord. Because some of us are going to have to go through some things and live through some things before the Lord comes back. And I'm not so sure that a generation that wants to ask for God to remove us when we pray according to Matthew 7 and 7 We pray for God to remove all the trouble out of our life. You know what? When I was a kid, I had to go through some things to learn how to grow. I was so disappointed after 13 years of school to find out the only thing I learned was how to learn. That's disappointing. 
You go to school for 13 years and you're like, man, I'm learning. I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be so smart. You get out of school and you look back and you realize, yeah, you learned basic math and English and all that, but all you really learned is how to learn. You learned that you have to get up every day and go to school, even when you don't feel like going to school. How does that translate? Anybody here ever had to go to work tired? Well, my goodness, where did you learn that kind of ethic? Isn't that something? We learn how to learn. And so when we go through things in the kingdom of God, it's amazing, amazing, amazing. And I don't want this to sound tonight like, uh, like I'm trying to be contradictory to, to faith. And I, I'm a faith preacher. I believe in faith. But I want to reach back into some old paths tonight and tell you that if you never had to go through trouble, you would never know him to be a deliverer. If you'd never been sick, you'd never know he could heal your body. If you've never had a restless night, you'd never know he was the Prince of Peace. So when we seek him and we ask him, we must ask according to his will. We cannot wake up every day and say, Lord, I'm asking you to take this trouble from me. I'm asking you to take this trial from me. If you've never gone through the trial, you never know how faithful he is. I'm telling you tonight that the promises of God do not become exempt because you're facing a mountain that's too big for you to climb. That's when you discover that you may have to climb the mountain, but you'll never climb it alone. And you'll never walk alone. That's when you pick up this holy book right here and you read in this book, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is where you read that I am a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Now you can look at that all you want to, but I want to tell you the reason why that language is so valuable. A friend that sticketh closer than a brother is Jesus is actually alluding to something that you'll miss if you're not careful. There are brothers that will forsake you. Think about his language. A friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Well, how can you be closer than a brother? Because brothers forsake you. Not all brothers, don't get me wrong. But there are people that you're going to trust and you're going to have faith in that are going to hurt you. They're going to betray you. They're going to turn their back on you. A boss that you thought would be your boss forever is going to get somebody else that can outwork you. And before they got to pay you your retirement, they're going to get rid of you and bring somebody else in. Is there anybody here that would agree with Pastor tonight when I tell you this is a dog-eat-dog world? This is a place where only the strong survive. And I get really nervous when I think about the kind of army that we've raised up in the 21st century church. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but it's amazing how our worship, quote unquote, is geared around the feeling and the atmosphere of the service. I told you a few minutes ago about the, the people in China right now that are going through hell on earth. Don't know what's going to happen at the threat of death if they put anything else up in their home. And now they're being watched. And, you know, I, I, I think about that and I think about the American church. It kind of rocks my world a little bit. Because we went 53 days without gathering together. 
in this local assembly and some folk weren't strong enough to handle it. So what do you do when you live in a country that you've got to sneak out of your house? We've got missionaries right now in certain countries that have to have birthday parties every Sunday. They literally are setting up right now in communist nations. We have people that I've, I know personally that are having birthday parties every weekend. And they're setting up parties in the room. They have decorations out as though it's a party. Because several of their parties have been crashed when people tell the authorities that it's a church that's meeting together. And so when they come in the doors, everybody's singing happy birthday. Oh, but man, pastor, what are we going to do if we have to wear a mask? Well, I don't know. I don't like it either, but we got bigger problems to deal with. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the fire. I'm not worried about the lion's den because I've read that story. I know what happens there. But when you ask him to keep you from the fiery furnace, but his will is that he be revealed in the fiery furnace, You're asking in opposition to the will of God. So Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given. But what am I asking for? The first thing that we must realize is that before we ask him for anything, we've got to ask him for his wisdom, for his counsel, and for his direction in how we pray. Because there are some people that we're praying right now for God to get out of their bed of discomfort. And it could be that the reason they're there is because somebody else was praying God, whatever it takes. Don't nobody want to help me with that right there now. There are people tonight that are in the shape they're in because of decisions that they've made. And it's the only place that God can get their attention. So when we pray, we need to be willing to pray, Lord, let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Nowhere were we ever commanded to pray that his will would be done in heaven as it is in earth. Boy, could you imagine right now if we were, if we were, setting, if we were setting the tone for what was going on in the earth, wouldn't it be peachy? I can tell you this, I love all you folks deeply, but I thank God that you're not God. I've seen your Facebook post. (laughs) Can you imagine? As uncontrolled as we are on social media, how crazy it'd be if we were judging the earth. Woo! Mm. It'd be devastating, wouldn't it? For one thing, none of us would be very clear. Could you imagine if God would have dealt with spiritual warfare like we deal with people on Facebook? Someone, and I'm not going to say who. Could you, could you imagine that in your Bible? Because your adversary, and I'm not going to say his name, is as a roaring lion. And you know who I'm talking about. Boy, I'm telling you. That guy acts like a devil, don't he? 
It's just funny to me how we try to twist the arm of God and manipulate the will of God with our prayer. When prayer is the key that God gave us to clearly communicate the will of God in earth as it is in heaven. Yet we use prayer as a manipulation tool. Think about that. God, please, 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 please. If you love me, Lord, if you love me, if you love me, I'm going to get that job. If you love me, I'll get that house. If you love me, I'll get that car. Lord, if you love me, I'll get that promotion. Well, what you don't know is if you get that promotion, there's somebody there you don't need to meet and some things that God's protecting you from. And so we've got to learn in whatsoever state we're in there with to be content. How many of you believe in an open door and closed door God? And how many of you have ever been to a place that God closed the door and you kept on trying to open it and it didn't work out real well? Have you ever been to a place where you tried to close the door that God opened and you wish you'd have just done the will of God? That's why when he said ask, it shall be given. What shall be given? The will of God shall be given. So the whole principle of this verse is to learn the power of alignment. The power of alignment. Now, I'm not real super preachy tonight because I just want to keep your attention right here for a few minutes and I'm not going to keep you super late tonight. But I want to help you to understand where we're at as the body of Christ tonight. We are not raising up in the church of the living God a generation of people that are happy to just come together Sunday and Wednesday and fill a spot on a seat. If we're still doing that, we're missing something desperately. I fear that that sin has been exposed by all of the social club churches that are scattered across America. I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but you know that church has become a community club when even atheists think it's a good idea to gather together and have atheist church on the weekends. I mean, think about that. They have church just like we have church, and they don't even believe in God. Uh, Pastor, you're joking. No, it's real. Look it up. I mean, if it's on Google, it's got to be true, right? But there are groups of atheists that come together. And they sing songs together and then they have teachings together and whatever they want to teach on. And then we think that we're doing God a favor because we show up. Man. Pretty tight in here right now. But we, we're so bold because, man... When nobody else wanted to go to church during COVID, we sat in our jammies and watched our iPhones. And this is the group of people that's going to stand for Jesus on Judgment Day. Right. Folks, I'm telling you, you've, you've heard me teach on the end times, eschatology. I want to believe that Jesus meant what he was saying when he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things. I look at the scripture, I see accounts of Noah. The Lord waited till Noah got on the ark before the rain started falling. He waited till Lot got out of Sodom before uh, judgment came. I see scripture all throughout the Bible that leads me to believe that 
There's a great possibility we will escape a lot of the tribulation that people are worried about. And I hope that it's true. But you listen to me very, very clearly tonight when I tell you that there are a lot of people whose eschatology and their view of of end time events are based more on their personal hope and preference than it is true clarity of scriptural understanding. I can see very, very clearly in the Bible where we could be raptured before seven years. And I can also see in the scripture that somebody is going to have to stand before the second coming. Now, please don't, where most people get messed up right here is between the rapture of the church and the second coming. They are not the same event. The rapture of the church is when we're called out as the church of the living God. The second coming is when he comes back, but not by himself. He comes back with 10,000 upon 10,000 of his saints. This is where we rule and reign in the millennial reign, the, the thousand years. There's a lot about this that, you know, you could do six weeks on nothing but the millennial reign and talk about that in a series and it's out there. I'm not here to teach on that tonight or even really end time events as much as I'm here to tell you that if we can't wrap our mind around Matthew 7 and 7, we are in major, major trouble if we have to live through some tribulation. How quickly did we see the kings of the earth line up that supposedly hate one another? It's amazing to me. Kings, presidents, prime ministers that are supposedly just, they all just hate each other. When this virus was released in the earth, in three days' time, almost every single nation of the world was together on what they were doing. You know what that tells me? They communicate more than we think they do. Now, you can look at this however you want to, but these Marxist groups that are running around talking about defund the police, that's not just so there won't be law and order in the streets. They want to defund the police so that They can pick who's going to keep the law and order so that they can set what kind of law and order there is. It's a spirit behind that's moving that says, well, if there's no police and it gets out of control, then all we've got to do is all these same guys and girls that shut the world down in less than three days, all they've got to do is go to one U.N. council meeting in New York and call together a U.N. force. And there could be police officers walking the streets of the United States of America that have never been sworn to a citizen's oath. They're not, they're not United States citizens. They're from other countries. Pastor, it'll never happen. Yes, and people said that we'd never have our church doors shut either. Well, why are you doing this on Wednesday night, Pastor? Because I am sick and tired of the world setting the narrative of the church instead of the other way around. The devil needs to know that he is not in control of this thing. 
that we are wise to his devices, and that we have every intention in this end time of standing strong. We have been given warnings about pandemic in the scripture. We've been given warnings of earthquake in the scripture. We've been given warnings of wars and rumors of war. It's all in the Bible. Let's not act surprised that it's here and be begging and pleading God to take us out of the trouble. Maybe the trouble is what's preparing us for the rapture of the church. be all right now you'd have to be crazy if you don't think I tell him every day Lord it'd be all right with me the sooner you come that'd be good man I mean I tell him frequently that my, my, our kids aren't in here tonight because they're in they're in the other chapel tonight but that's what I worry about most I worry about my kids I worry about your kids I worry about what our kids are going to have to face if the Lord doesn't come back. You know, I, I look at, at my life and being a, being, being a pastor and a leader in, in the faith community and trying to make the right decisions and every decision that I make. Listen, I, I've, I've discovered this is not pat me on the back time, but I've discovered as a pastor, there's just no right way to lead in times like this. You know, if you have church, you're reckless. If you don't have church, you're faithless. But what do you do? And so I've just made up in my mind that I, I want to pastor the kind of church that my kids can go to heaven from. But if our kids look at church and all they see is the community getting together, the fun getting together, you know, oh boy, I love my church. What do you love about it? I like all my friends there. Well, somewhere we got to get something deeper in their hearts than we have a good Sunday school class. Am I helping anybody tonight or am I just, am I, just uh, am I shooting fish in a barrel tonight? I'm, I'm trying to help somebody understand. We've got to get the mind of God and understand that we don't have time to play good church anymore. We don't have time to just come together and judge by whether or not we like the three songs that we sing and the, the song that we do for offering and well, there's a, there's a dollar because yeah, that's all right, that's all I got, just go give, you know. I, I, I'm wondering what's happening right now because there's supposedly a, ch a chain shortage in America. And we're still getting it in the offering. <laughs> I'm like, no, there ain't no chain shortage. You ain't been to a Pentecostal church. <laughs> chain shortage. I want you all to think about this with me, please. You know, several years ago, we were preaching a lot of this stuff. People said we were conspiracy theorists, Brother Gray. Now it's no longer a theory. We're here. And people are saying, we're going cashless for your safety. So here's what I got to say to all those people. For my safety, just bring me every $100 bill you can get your hands on. Because I don't want you getting sick. So what I want you to do today is to go to your savings account that you've got hidden away in your little envelope in your sock drawer. 
And I want you to bring me every single piece of paper money you've got before November, please. And let me have that paper money, and that way you won't get sick. My dad used to say when I was a kid, he'd, he'd walk past a car or something that he liked, and he'd say, man, if that guy give me that car and I'd give him a feather, we'd both be tickled. That's kind of the way I feel right now. We're not cashless yet. But what's this leading to? Where are we going right now? What it, did, I mean, do we really, really believe that because there's sickness that change, like change disappeared? I mean, nobody's been out spending money. Where did, where did the change go? And they're going to act like the last four months is the first time money's been dirty. I've seen where people pull money out of at the check, cashier checkout. When they're having to put signs at the ice cream parlors that say we don't take wet money. That's not because kids are coming from the swimming pool with it. So if you're watching tonight, bring me all your sweaty money. I'll take it. Where are we going? What's happening? How's this, how's this rolling out? Okay, well, I want to tell you, because we're American, we don't see it. And listen to me, church. Please listen to me. I'm, I, I don't want to come across ugly. But we're getting distracted way too easy. Our governor makes one announcement about masks, and I've communicated with some of you today. I don't, I don't like it. But I want you to listen to me. This, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the main thing. We have pastors right now that this church supports in, in another country. If you want to know more about it, talk to my grandfather. I don't want to talk about it real, real openly on, online tonight. If you want to know more about it, you can ask Brother Bingham. Pastors that we support and have for years and years. That right now, they have one member of their family that has an identification card that's allowed to leave their house. One. And in the last two weeks, I think it, it's gone down to one, uh, one day a week. Is that right? This last time it went down. So now, one member of the family is allowed to leave the house and they just took it down to one time a week. They, they give you your one day. And you have to be sure that you get all of your business done in that one day. Look. I am not talking about crazy, loony people. I'm talking about apostolic, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-filled, one God preachers. But we're, we're in America. So we have a right to ask God to take trouble from us. I know what happened to me over the 45 days that we weren't, you know, we weren't supposed to be doing anything. And I literally lived my life between my house and this church building. I'd get up every morning and come to work. I'd stay here all day and I'd go home and go to bed at night. And I felt like I was going crazy. Can you imagine? Now for four months, these people have not been able to leave their house except for the pastor's daughter 
because she's the, the healthiest one that was able to go out and one day a week. And now they're telling us what kind of money we can use, how many days you can go out, how many of your family can go out. And we're looking at this and saying, oh, wait, it's going to be over in just a little while. It's going to be over in just a little while. But what if it's not? What if it don't go away? How are you asking God? Your response to Matthew 7 and 7 reveals your true heart on how you're approaching God. If you're praying for God to come to just get us out of the trouble, then then you've missed it. The whole purpose of heaven was never our escape strategy out of trouble. It's to be with Him and to worship Him and to love Him. Listen, I know folks have got a lot of plans about heaven and they've got all their ideas about who they're going to talk to first when they get there. I know some of them, I've been to funerals, man, where they played it out. Oh, I, I wish I was them today. They're probably talking to the Apostle Paul. They probably went and found Stephen and talked to Stephen. Oh, I bet you they're talking to martyrs. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. I have one priority when I get there. I want to get to his feet as quickly as I can. I want to see the face of the one that shed his blood for me. I want to be in alignment with him right now. I'm going to rock your theology right here for just a minute. But it's my opinion that the greatest revival that will ever be recorded ever, ever, ever will be after the church is gone. Because for at least a few minutes, everybody's going to believe that what we said was true. Oh, man, these church people, they're far out there, man. They just believe that their God's just going to step out on the eastern cloud. And he's going to show up and then they're all going to be gone. Well, you know, people can mock if they want to. But how many people do you think were banging on the outside of that ark that Noah built when God closed the door? Everybody doing all right? I know this is different for a Wednesday night. But I've been rolling this over in my spirit all day today. Ask, seek, knock. What do you mean? I've been praying every day, but how are you praying? What are you praying right now? What's the first thing you do when you come to God? Do you just start asking or have you been repenting? Because I've got to spend a lot of time. Can I walk you all through about between five, ten minutes right here of just a good way to get started if you want to start asking, seeking, and knocking? First things first. When I wake up in the morning... Before I say, ow, that hurts, man, that's bright, man, my breath stinks. I mean, mine don't, but smile, it won't hurt you. Before I say anything, when I wake up in the morning, I just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that my spirit's in my body. Thank you, Lord, that I'm all right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I'm still here. Sometimes it's like a, oh, thank you, Jesus. Just trying, to, just trying to get it out. But before I complain about anything, I want to start the day with thankfulness. I believe in tithing. I believe it's vitally important. It's a saved and lost thing, in my opinion. It's not like a comfort thing. It's a saved and lost thing. I believe that. 
But I'm afraid that we have focused for a long time on the first fruits of our finances and not the first fruits of our time. And so I told the Lord several years ago, I don't want to give you my leftovers. So I get up in the morning and I give him thanks. I put my clothes on and I come to this sanctuary. And the first thing that I do when I walk in this sanctuary is I lay my Bible and all my belongings down. And I come straight to this altar with nobody in here and I kneel down on my knees. And I bow down before the Lord and I thank him for the opportunity to be in this house because I don't deserve to be here. And I spend the next few moments entering his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I don't ask him for anything. I just spend time in here thanking him. I've got my spot right here. And when I walk in first thing in the morning, this is where I'm at. Lord, thank you. Thank you for health and life and strength. Thank you for blessing my family. Thank you for keeping me through the night. Thank you. And I start my day at the temple. I believe in it. I spend my time entering his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I want to admonish you tonight. Is everybody okay? I don't want you to be bored. I know this is a little bit different. But I would admonish you to start looking at prayer a little bit differently. What prayer really is, is us reminding God of his word. That's what prayer really is. We take his word to us and we lift it to him. And so I would admonish you to go through the Psalms and to find some Psalms that at the opening of your day as you're praying, giving God your first fruit. I'm not talking about when you come home from work at night and you're exhausted and give God your leftovers. First thing, start finding some Psalms. I will enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. I'll be thankful unto you and bless your name for you alone, Lord, are worthy and start working your way through Psalms like I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear their heaven be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I cried unto the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me out of all of my fears. And just begin to pray those psalms before the Lord. Find, find psalms of thankfulness and gratitude. Lord, you are my shepherd and I shall not want. I thank you that you make me to lie down in green pastures and you lead me beside still waters. Go ahead and just praise him and tell him, Lord, thank you for restoring my soul in me this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you lead me in the paths of rights. Thank you for all that. And thank him that in a time that we're living in right now, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed this recently and it's been different to me. That yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, Lord, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm talking about entering his gates. And I'm lifting that word back to him. Why am I, why am I doing that? Because I'm asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking. And I'm presenting that word before the Lord and not by accident. We are in the valley of the shadow of death, but we don't have to fear evil. And so I'm, I'm trying to hurry. I'm staying, trying to stay in that five to ten minutes right here. And so what I do then after, after I've sought the Lord with thanksgiving and praise, I immediately transition myself through that gate. And I'm not going to teach you the whole tabernacle tonight. We may do it again soon. But I've entered his gates What's the very first piece of furniture in that Old Testament tabernacle when you get through the gates? A brazen altar. Anybody have a clue what that place smelled like? This part right here will make you weep. 
when I get to that altar, I just visualize the cross in my life that I'm supposed to be taking up. And I lay myself on that altar of sacrifice. And I say, God, before I try to go anywhere in your presence today, I'm asking you to burn out of me all of my flesh. Lord, before I ask, I seek, or I knock, get this flesh out of me. Because I want to ask according to your will and not mine. I want to seek what you want me to seek, and I want to knock on the right door. I don't want to spend the next hour or two or three or whatever I spend with you in this sanctuary, Lord, knocking on the wrong door because I'm selfish. And I spend however much time I need there. It varies from day to day. But I lay right there on that altar. And I start, I start dragging stuff out of the scripture again. Lord, hide thy face from my transgressions. Blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And grab that, grab that word and start praying it. Start bringing that before the Lord every day. Lord, let this heart be clean right now. I'm laying it out before you right now. Creating me a clean heart. Some folks say, man, I, Pastor, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you pray an hour. I don't know how you pray two hours. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do that. Listen, if you spend enough time on that altar right there, you're going to find out a way to pray. Because if we'd all get honest right there, that first part, none of us spend enough time there. And you can lay yourself on that altar and just cry out to the Lord for a while. Lord, this selfish thing that I've been fighting with in me and my bad attitude that I've had towards so-and-so. Lord, I'm asking you right now to forgive me for the way that I treated them. And when you get through dealing with me here today, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go talk to them. And I'm going to tell them how I dealt wrongly with them. You'll be surprised what the Holy Ghost will reveal to you right there if you'll ask him to. So I spend some time right there on that altar. And then... Just very quickly, I'm getting to ask, seek, knock, okay? The next piece of furniture that you come to, anybody remember? The laver. It's a brazen laver. This was the water. This is where the priests washed their hands and cleansed their hands after the altar of sacrifice. But it was also beaten to where it was mirror-like finish on the inside of that when the water was in there. And as the priest would look over into that lever... They saw their face and their reflection. And so before I go any further at all, I get up off of the altar of sacrifice and I walk straight to that lever and I look in there and I make sure that I'm as dead as I can be. I make sure that there's no flesh left in me because I know that after he washes me now in this lever, I'm fixing to enter into a holier place. I'm going to pass through those five posts. I'm going to move into that holy place. Where's the table of shoe bread, the, the golden candlesticks, the table of incense? I'm going to walk in there and do a deeper place where I can start asking God for some different things and clear direction. But folks, listen to what I'm telling you right now. You can't ask, seek, and knock through a mouth of flesh. So I get in that lever and I wash all the death off of me so that I'm back to the image of my creator. And then... Before I walk in any further, I check one more time and say, Lord, is there anything else that you need to do in my life today? Anything else you need to cleanse? Anything else you need to fix? Anything else that I need to go take care of? Anything else that I need to do? 
And then I start walking towards that first curtain. There's so much power there. Those five posts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's all there. It's all there. But I step in there, Brother Lang. I pull that curtain behind me. And the only source of light that's in that room is that candlestick. The sevenfold working of the Spirit of God. The light, the illumination of His Spirit. Lord, now it's just me and you in here. Turn on that light of revelation right now. Let the Spirit of God work in me. God, grant me wisdom, counsel, might, knowledge. What I need for this day, grant. And I start walking through it. I pray the prayer of Solomon. Lord, give me wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore, Lord. And that my wisdom would excel all of the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. Can you imagine what would happen if during this 24-hour prayer chain... All these folks that are praying, we all got ourselves in alignment, Mother. We got to seeking and praying. And we all got in alignment with, with the will of God. And for 24 hours around the clock, this church got in alignment before the throne of God. Church, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but I'm just telling you, it'd be something if this church right here was the catalyst that started turning the wheel. And the Lord said, I see a hunger in the hearts of my people. What if FPC Anderson could prick the heart of God? and He could look down on us. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. What if FPC Anderson could prick the heart of God? He could say they finally got it in their hearts right now. That they want heaven to come to earth more than they want anything else in this world. Wouldn't it be something if somebody was praying through that tabernacle and just as they went to pass through that veil into the Holy of Holies. Bum, bum, bum. The old trumpet would sound. And we'd be carried away to the mercy seat. Church, we must posture ourselves to ask, to seek, and to knock. I've, I've, I've took way longer than I wanted to. But let me put this in alignment with you tonight with the word of God. You can't just ask for anything, seek for anything, and knock on any door and expect God to answer. We've got to spend some time at the altar being sure that we're asking the right things, seeking the right things, and knocking on the right door. If you believe that, would you just shout amen? amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. For those of you that are having a difficult time uh, in prayer right now, I want you to, uh, I want you to make a practice over the next couple of days of praying the scripture. I'm not saying just sit down and read through it, but I'm saying make it apply to your prayer time as you get in to pray. I spend a lot of time in prayer praying that God would, uh, would help me with certain things and then other things I, sp I pray specifically the prayer. Lord, let me be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. And... Put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I go through the whole thing. I put on the armor of God. Get covered in the blood of Jesus. Then I enter in and start asking, seeking, and knocking. So get that word and personalize it. Get it down deep in your heart. How many of you believe prayer is making a difference? 
How many of you know it's making a difference? <laughs> Praise God.